Burger King began to compete with McDonald's when they coined the slogan, have it your way. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. And that ad campaign struck a responsive nerve with, and it resonated with customers who were Americans and were used to getting our way, having people serve us what we want. And there's a danger that that same spirit of consumerism can invade Christ's church. If we could black out the room right now, I want you to watch this video called McChurch. Christian Unity Temple of the United States of America meeting all your church needs since 1991. How can we serve you? Um, yeah, I'd like a service that has a lot of upbeat music, um, short sermon, nothing really convicting, because I don't want to feel bad about myself. Um, everybody's really happy and really cool, basically. Would you like to try our all-new, all-natural detoxifying holy water with that today? I don't know. Sure. Sure. Thank you, and have a blessed day. Thanks. Christian Unity Temple of the United States of America meeting all your church needs since 1991. How can we serve you? Uh, yes, I would like a uh, classical service um, with the 1965 Baptist hymnal. Uh, please hold the devil instruments. No guitar, no drums. God help us. Um, I would like about a 45-minute sermon with a strong slice of conviction. Um, Let's see. And that may just about do it. Would you like to try our Jonathan Edwards sermonette with that today? No, no, thank you. I'd prefer not to stand up, though. My knees don't hold up as I used to. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir, and have a blessed day. Thank you. of the United States of America meeting all your church needs since 1991. How can we serve you? Uh, yeah, I want one order of, um, I just want a short service, nothing too long, uh, probably a one-point sermon. Um, I don't go to church much, so I, I don't want anybody touching me, no sh handshaking or nothing like that. Um, that just kind of weirds me out. Uh, and just, uh, I just want it quick and fast because I got a bike rally uh, coming up real fast. So. Would you like to try our guilt-free encouragement with that? No, 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 that's all. I just want what I ordered. Thank you, and have a blessed day. Well, here's the antidote to this good old American privilege, consumerism, and self-focus. It's the healthy alternative to insisting on my preferences is to release my wants serving others. Rick Warren begins the popular best-selling book, Purpose Driven Life, with this opening statement, this observation, it's not about you. 
And the purpose of your life, he says, is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, he says, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Romans chapter 8, verse 6, in, in the message paraphrase says, Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. We all have preferences in life. Some people like dogs. Some people like cats. Some people like golf. Some people like NASCAR. Some people like salads. Some people like red meat. And in the troubled Corinth church in the first century, stylistic preferences were being used by Satan to divide the church body. They were divided over leaders. We begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some of Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God, he said, that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say, you were baptized in my name. And then he says, yes, I, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The church in Corinth was dividing over these personality cliques, following one leader over another. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas, which was another name for, for Peter. And Paul responds, what's the matter with you? Did they die for you? Only Christ matters. He said, I'm glad I didn't baptize many of you because you have skewed the focus. He said, I'm all about preaching Christ and, and leading people to make that decision of baptism. I don't have to be the, the midwife in the water baptizing them all. There was a, a man at a church I, I served years ago who, growing up as a young man, he had been baptized by the famous minister P.H. Welshimer. And P.H. Welshimer was at the historic First Christian Church in Canton, Ohio. And it had the largest Sunday school of any church in America. And so it was kind of a status thing to have been baptized by P.H. Welshimer. 
And so Ron came to our church every week. He worshiped faithfully, gave to the church, served and volunteered. But when invited to, to transfer his membership, he said, no, I, I don't want to move my, my membership. He said, I, I've had my membership for, for 50 years back at First Christian in Canton. And uh, he said, I, I just want to leave it there when I die so that I can say that my membership was there all, all my way through my whole life. And so he wouldn't change his, his membership. S- sounds a little bit like what was going on in Corinth. The, the Corinthians had gotten off base because of their preferences. And it, it can still happen in churches today. And you can imagine in a, a large family like ours, there are as many opinions as there are family members. And those differing ideas can range from it's too warm, it's too cold, it's, it's too loud, it's, it's too soft, it's too long, it's, it's too short, it's too casual, it's too formal. And so asserting our preferences causes division and it takes the focus off of Christ. And growing to spiritual maturity is when things are less about my wants and, and more about serving Christ. So today, I, I want us to understand this truth, that the, the healthy alternative to insisting on my preferences is to release my wants serving others. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, we read, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And so that was his focus. You want to be first in in my sight? You want to be first in in my kingdom? It begins when when you serve others. Today we study from Philippians chapter 2, and I'd like to divide this message into two sections. It won't be like the guy on the motorcycle wanting the one-point sermon, but it's not a three-point sermon. So uh, the, the, the text here in the first four verses deals with the encouragement of avoiding preference. Uh, listen to Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in mind. And do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Back in the early 80s, a friend of mine was a youth minister at a church in a small town in southwestern Ohio. And at the church there, the policy was when a young person was baptized, he or she received a copy of the King James Version of the Bible. It didn't make any difference that the kids had a hard time understanding the Shakespearean English of that 1611 translation. He was told to give the kids a, a KJV. And so Chris requested permission. He said, how about if I give them a copy of the New International Version? That'll be a lot easier for them to understand, more chance that they'll, they'll read it and use it. They said, well, we're, we're not sure about that. We, we don't know. And 
So Chris undertook a, a three-month letter-writing campaign, gathering information, amassing documentation from Bible college presidents and professors, and it stated that the scholarship of the NIV was on a level equal to or surpassing the KJV. So he presented it to the church leaders, asked for permission in the future to hand out the easy-to-understand NIV Bible instead of the KJV. And so this is what he was told. All right, from now on, when a young person is baptized, you can give him or her a copy of the NIV and a copy of the KJV. And both. They said, you know, we'll, we'll just double up on it. And you know, it's so evident that if we're not careful, we get attached to the way that we've always done things. And we refuse to, to make needed improvements that are obvious. And that's the legalism similar to the Pharisees of Jesus' day. It's one matter to have a preference. It's something entirely different when we make our opinions a matter of fellowship. Our church is a part of an effort called the Restoration Movement. It's an effort to restore the modern church so that it is fashioned after the early church that we read about in the pages of Acts in the first century. In the Restoration Movement, this relevant slogan was coined, in essentials, unity, in opinions, liberty, in all things, love. And that's still a great target for us to to cite in our our scope. Uh, Another friend of mine was at a church ironically named Liberty, when he faced an unexpected conflict following a baptism, when one Sunday they sang, Now I belong to Jesus, instead of what had been their usual standby, victory in Jesus. And one of the members was irate. After the service, he began to shout, We sang, Now I belong to Jesus. We're supposed to sing victory in Jesus. His adult daughter tried to reason with her father. She said, Daddy, isn't the important thing that someone has obeyed Christ and was baptized? He said, no, using profanity for emphasis. The important thing is we're supposed to sing victory in Jesus. Do you see how our staunch insistence on our preferences can cause us to miss the main thing? We all get accustomed to the familiar and, and regular routine. We're, we're creatures of, of habit. Uh, but for most, departures from the traditional are, are difficult to navigate. Change is challenging due to the uncertainty of adjustment to our established expectations. And that's because over the years of our lifetimes, we've done it one particular way, which has now become familiar safe and predictable and that's how preference develops in our lives and in our families and in the church ben merrill was a senior statesman in the the christian churches and he made this statement unless there is something in the worship service that i don't particularly prefer it hasn't been a good worship service because it has lacked the variety if it only appeals 
to my tastes and my preferences. Preferences become dangerous and divisive when we insist on having our preferences. Tom Rainer wrote in our, our chapter this week, Christians can sometimes act just like demanding children who want things their way. But the strange thing about church membership is that you actually give up your preferences when you join. He said, don't get me wrong, there may be much about your church that you like a lot, but you are there to meet the needs of others. You are there to serve others. You are there to give. You are there to sacrifice. Get the picture, he says. And he goes on, as a church member, my motivation is not to get my preferences to the top of the list. I am supposed to be last, not first. I am supposed to be a servant instead of seeking to be served. Then he said, Jesus said we must be last of all and servant of all. That doesn't sound like all the church members we may know. Many church members demand their preferences, their desires, in the way they've always done it. But Jesus said we are to serve. End of quote. Years ago at a, another church, I, I learned that a member was upset, and so I, I spoke to, to Mel to see what was wrong, and, and he exploded. I've been a member of this church for 30 years, and when I'm in the hospital, I expect the senior minister to visit me, not one of the junior ministers. I explain it when someone's in, in the hospital for surgery and would like a visit and prayer and we know in advance we always try to have someone visit and, and pray. It, it may be a minister. It may be a member. It may be an elder. It may be someone from your life group. Uh, it will be someone from the church body who is glad to encourage, but it doesn't have to be a minister. P part of that restoration movement is restoring the idea of the priesthood of all believers. That, that every Christian can carry out that, that purpose and, and that function. We saw a couple of weeks ago in the, the chapter, chapter one of I Am a Church Member that membership shouts an entitlement, perks, rights. I pay my dues. I expect my way. And that stands in stark contrast to the biblical model of membership being about servanthood. Rainer says, church membership from a biblical perspective is all about servanthood. It's about giving. It's about putting others first. If we approach church membership from the perspective of entitlement, he says, we have it upside down. You always ask first what you can do for your church. The word servant appears 57 times in the New Testament. The word serve occurs 58 times in the New Testament. And Jesus said, we must be last of all and servant of all. That doesn't sound like how it always works. And so Jesus commands that we are to serve. It was President John F. Kennedy who was famous for the statement, don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And that change in attitude represents a, a shift 
from entitlement and expectation to selflessness and servanthood. Let me tell you about a, a member in the church at, at Dublin named Oscar. Oscar was a, a quiet, unassuming widow, or he, he kept a, a big garden, this faithful, godly man in his 80s. At the time, we were, were building a sports outreach center, and Oscar stopped by and said, hey, do you have a few minutes to show me around? I, I could watch some of the construction underway. I said, sure. So we took about 10 minutes and walked him through the building, let him see what was, was happening and being done. And at the end of our, our tour, he admitted, I really don't like the, the music very much. It's, it's too loud. It's too much like rock music. But he said, I, I, I sure like all of these young people that we are reaching for Christ. And then Oscar reached in his shirt pocket. He pulled out a checkbook and he asked, would a check for $5,000 help with the project? I assured him it would be a great help. And he wrote a check on the spot, tore it out of his checkbook, and gave it to the Lord. I didn't know that he had two nickels to rub together, but I, I knew he loved the Lord and, and that reaching the lost mattered more to him than loving his preferences. The healthy alternative to insisting on my preferences is to release my wants serving others. In the second part of this chapter, uh, verses 5 through 8 of Philippians 2, show us the example that was set by Jesus. Alfred Adler, the father of modern psychology, observed, the wish for recognition is the dominant impulse in human nature. There's this carnal human tendency that we all have to battle to impress, to name drop, to boast in order to focus attention on ourselves or our accomplishments. In, in our culture, sometimes serving others is equated with inferiority. So it, it can make people reluctant to be identified that way. And Jesus said it really works just the opposite. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Let's back up again to verses 3 and 4 in Philippians 2. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Those verses sound un-American, don't they? We're programmed from birth to, to look out for all number one. Me first. Win by intimidation. Only the best for us. Take the biggest slice. First come, first served. And what Paul says is that our consideration for others must precede our concern for ourselves. Verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How does this make them feel? How might that affect them? Does my statement or action focus more on me or more on others? And then in the next verse comes the example of our master. Verse 5, 
in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some translations say grasped or, or clutched or, or clung to. He said, I, I, I'm God, but I'm not going to clutch tenaciously to my rights and to my title. I'm going to relinquish that and come to earth and serve and save the human race. There in Discipleship Journal was uh, written a diary from the perspective of being one of Jesus' disciples and traveling with him and going around doing ministry with him. And, and this was the, the entry from a, a disciple's diary, March 29th. Today, he said so simply to a blind, filthy beggar, what do you want me to do for you? As if that blind man were the most important person on earth. My heart leaped to my throat as I watched the master at work. He is certainly the living testimony to God's love. Praise for God swelled within all of us as we saw this once miserable beggar jump up in joyful sight. I believe we are all fully convinced that as a man, Jesus is more complete and less in need of others than any human being ever was. And yet, he spends his time and energy more intently for others than anyone who ever lived. Former governor of Massachusetts, Christian Herter, uh, arrived late for a barbecue. He had no breakfast or lunch, and he was famished. And as he moved down the serving line, he, he held out his plate and was given one piece of chicken. And the governor asked the serving lady, excuse me, but would you mind if I had another piece? I, I'm really hungry. She said, sorry, I'm only supposed to give one piece to each person. Governor Herter uh, again explained, hey, I, I, I'm really starving. I haven't had anything to eat today. She said, only one to a customer. The governor was a modest man. But he was so hungry, he decided to put the weight of his office behind his plea. He said, ma'am, do you know who I am? I'm the, the state governor. The woman shot back, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Now move along. <laughs> Jesus could have insisted on the advantages that were due him. But he emptied himself of all the benefits and came to earth on our behalf. Verse 7 says, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. As John the baptizer said of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to do the, the third pledge. And this is how the chapter of the book ends. 
And this is a pledge I hope that you'll sign your name to in your book this afternoon if you haven't already done so. The third pledge reads, I will not let the church be about my preferences and desires. That is self-serving. I am a member in this church to serve others and to serve Christ. My Savior went to a cross for me. I can deal with any inconveniences and matters that just aren't my preference or style. Signed.